are listening to Think Funny with Aaron Donnelly, Nate Sadler, and Matt Donnelly. For show notes and to check out Aaron's books, please visit AaronDonnelly.com. And now, the show that only thinks it's funny, the Think Funny Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Think Funny Podcast. Uh, this is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Matt Donnelly. Hi, everybody. And Nate's out this week, um, but we have a very special guest that we're interviewing today. His name is Jim Hope. He is Yay! the <laughs> Jim is a longtime uh, television writer, producer, has written for Titus and uh, George Lopez Show and Disney programs, Dog with a Blog, Cousins for Life, Planet Sheen on Nickelodeon, and now with a very successful animated series called Talking Tom and Friends, which is available on Netflix and YouTube. So welcome, Jim, to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Aaron. Wow. You did you did research and everything. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wow. A little bit. Yeah. Before we get going, I just want to thank everyone. This is our one-year anniversary of the show it's our 45th episode thanks everybody for listening uh-huh. it's it's been fun and and i uh, appreciate the comments and support and everything from everybody so thank you yeah um, congratulations that's pretty great um so, nobody nobody thought that, the, that that we get this far we all thought no there's no way but now <laughs> but now you're a juggernaut there's no Jim way to stop. Is, yeah. you're just <laughs> rumbling down the tracks just to force them it can't be stopped nothing yeah. nothing can get in the way you could put a penny on those tracks it wouldn't that's stop right. it that's right all right jim well um why don't we start off? Uh, I just kind of wanted to cover, you know, your career and thoughts. I had some questions for you, but maybe we'll start off with what you're doing now, with talking Tom and Friends. Well, maybe. actually, you know that well, that show is on the air now, and we yeah. are done writing it, so I'm not. not oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not there anymore. Uh, oh, okay. I'm working on other projects. I have some stuff. I'm I'm teaching television writing and producing at Chapman University. That's really? fun. And then, uh, but that's like an extra. That's like I'm an adjunct professor or part time professor, which is pretty cool. I get to call myself professor, sort of. Did you? have to develop the curriculum uh you know what it was, it was pre-developed when i got there uh yeah. by bill rosenthal and people before him but he bill bill brought me in and he's he's a great tv writer and stuff i'm doing that I, i'm developing a, a little kids show right now for two to five two ages two to five I've never done this before for disney yeah. junior and uh just wrote the pilot turned that in writing another pilot currently for uh triple horse studios out in georgia and uh we're we've got financing and we're going to be shooting it in april and then i'm sorry february and then kind of hoping to to shop it by april uh, is that a kids show as well or what's, no, what's this, that it's, show? A, it's a wholesome family comedy it's uh it's uh starring henry cho who i developed with uh, a couple times before i wrote i wrote with henry worked for henry with henry when he was hosted friday night on nbc yeah he was a stand-up right yeah great stand-up you know and and we're actually gonna i'm gonna go do stand-up with him at zany's in tennessee this uh this next weekend really well yeah which would be fun and then we're going to be writing during that time because we're we're developing the show we, we actually initially developed a show together in like i think it was 2007 just before the writer's guild strike we uh-huh. sold it to cbs with craig ferguson as our non-writing producer it was fantastic it was really going to be a fun show writer's guild strike happened wiped out all the development and we never got traction for the, mm. for the piece after that. so now you know, the, the low these many years later, we get a chance to do it again together. So it's pretty, pretty great. Pretty fun. That's great, man. Yeah. And so yeah, do you do stand up often? And not too often. I mean, I, I do it when, when friends call and say, Hey, you want to go do stand up? I'm like, okay. Right. You know, I yeah. still have my act and I, I still write jokes because it's just kind of how you keep the, the muscle going. You know, it's kind right. of, it, you know, I, I can't stop doing it. My daughter's actually now doing stand up. Is she? Really? Yeah. <laughs> how old are you? How many kids do you have? I just have the one. Just and have how the old one. is we, she? We, we, uh, she's twenty six. Okay, just, 
Yeah, she she graduated from USC a couple of years back, and I mean, we didn't have to pay to get her in, just to let everybody know. Uh, <laughs> we did we did have to pay to keep her there. Uh, it was like it was like a quarter of a million dollars. Wow! And that doesn't that doesn't include the bar tab. I'm just going to be very clear. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But at least yeah. at least she got a theater major, so that's really paying off. Oh, uh, you can do a, you can do a beautiful monologue. Uh, to pay your rent. That'll be nice. <laughs> now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York. Is that enough? Does that cover like a month, that, a half a month? Work? So yeah. no, but she, she's great. And she, she actually now is a tour guide at Universal making $12 an hour. So it's all paying off for me. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, she's in show business at least. That's good. She's in show business. Actually, she's not. She, she, she was, uh, she's a writer's assistant. She wrote a couple episodes of, uh, of uh, Talking Tom. So oh, really? she's on that. She's on that show, and she and when the show comes back, being a uh, script coordinator and, and stuff. So it's pretty exciting for her. Huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I uh, I actually just watched one uh, one of your Talking Tom ones uh, before the well, before we started here, and it was oh. the anniversary episode. Oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was fun. It, it was a great show. It was, the twist was really good. The, the storyline, I like. I laughed out loud with the. Uh, uh, she, he goes to buy his girlfriend um, opera glasses, and there's this yeah. huge long line to get opera glasses. Right, <laughs> it was good. Um, I thought it was yeah. unique that um, they're they're in a relationship in a cartoon, like a real relationship. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. The I mean, characters are just friends. Well, it's it's interesting because this is. It's a really curious show in the sense because it started with an app and the company Outfit Seven that created the app Talking Tom and it's that this little cat that talks back at you. They wanted to kind of diversify, move into other fields, and so they they tried to do a television series. So they tried it with several other places. They finally came to my friend uh, Tom Martin who wrote for The Simpsons and everything. Tom and I started doing stand up together, so that was kind of like how I how I came into it uh, in the second season. But they came to him and he really kind of helped craft it. Thomas huh. since left, and now it's run by uh, Kevin Peterson. The room is run, but Boris Dolinch is kind of the network exec, but also you know very much involved in the writing of it. But they're a Slovenian company; they're from Slovenia, so yeah. they have a very strong international uh, appeal and notion. They're huge in Korea, huge in China, big in India, and it, it's really interesting because the way you write for it is less joke oriented. It's not so much about the words because that's American, uh, our yeah. puns and the and the kinds of jokes we. But it's more visual and it's playing with stuff. And, and the company that animates it, uh, Stephen uh, Feltzmar, is heads up people uh, moving pixels. And they're in the Canary Islands, which is, really? <laughs> but it, he's Danish. It's like a real, it's very international. We've got uh, French directors, uh, Spanish directors, Italian, English, uh, British rather. And so it's like all these different things. It's really kind of, you learn about that international market. And there's a whole, I mean, there's billions of people out there who are not Americans. Uh, who want to be entertained? Like yeah. You know, as, as it turns out, we're not. It, the whole world is an American. Right. Right. Thing you discover. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I watched the behind the scenes uh, with the director, and I was like, wow, everybody has like a accent, like a Swedish yeah. type accent. And man, there's a lot of people working on that show too. It's like oh, a yeah. huge room full of uh, designers and that 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 footage was mostly in the Canary Islands, which is uh, it's a, a group of islands that's a Spanish territory, like I think to the north, slightly slightly north, but uh, west of Morocco. And oh. we went there. We were there for two weeks. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. I've never done any, I mean, I've never been really, you know, I've never been to Europe before. So to go to Africa was like really, but it wasn't really, I was I, Europe in Africa. So it was really, right. really interesting. Well, it's got some, it's got some big stars voicing it. Colin oh, Hanks yeah. is the, is the Tom, the, the main character, mm -hmm. the son of Tom Hanks. Um, I saw Maria Bamford is on there. Yes. She's Ginger. 
Yeah, and, uh, and, and, yeah, yeah, she's so funny. The, and, and Tom Kenny, who does SpongeBob and every royalty other of voiceover. Yeah, wow, I was so impressed. I was like, no way, Tom Kenny's on this. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's super yeah. impressive. Yeah, really, really yeah. great voice actors. And uh, hey, the writing can be great, and the visuals got to be great, but the acting is really important. I mean, you know, you just and and voice actors are the best. They're the best to work with because they're usually really humble, and they're kind of like, hey, right. let's. Let's work together. Let's play. And they, and they really are fun to work. I mean, I love all actors typically. I mean, not all, but most. Yeah. A lot of actors are good people. Let me just say that. <laughs> the, ones I, the one I'm going to work with, the ones that I will be working in the future are fantastic people. Just, yes, exactly. Wonderful people. Yeah. Let's take us back, Jim. Uh, where did you grow up? I, I grew up in Los Angeles, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my dad and mom were 17 when uh, they, uh, they, in high school, when, you know, when the, the notion of Jim, Jim arose. And uh, they really? got married shortly after they discovered that that was that someone was on his way, and uh, you know, so I was born to a seventeen-year-old mom, eighteen-year-old dad, uh, and that is a recipe for success. Let me tell you, uh, it was. <laughs> you know, I was growing up. My mommy yelled me, "Wait till your father gets home." We waited two or three years. The guy never showed up. But um, <laughs> that's a joke. I know my dad; he's great. But, uh, you know, he he went through the whole seventies thing. You know, it's just the kind of craziness of that. My mom went through her craziness of that time. So it was a lot of uh, a lot of insane stuff going on uh, in, in my youth. So I grew up in some pretty tough neighborhoods and tenement houses, mobile homes. At the when we moved into a triple wide home, mobile home in high school, my last two years of high school it was like. It was the giant step up, you know. Yeah, we're trailer people now. Finally, you know, we <laughs> Did climbed you make into a quadruple the, wide. Is a triple the farthest? We've never had a quadruple. I mean, you know, a triple wide we thought was pretty was picking in high cotton. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah. So growing up, uh, when did you first realize that you wanted to be ri- a writer or creative of some kind, or that you were creative? Oh, that's a was funny there- thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, they uh, the old thing that I'd heard before about stand ups is that you're not funny if you weren't funny in the fifth grade. And I don't know that that's true, but I was funny in the fifth grade. <laughs> I actually said my first joke in a class. Uh, I told jokes before. My grandfather was a minister, a preacher, and he was always a funny preacher. So him being funny always made me want to be funny. And mm-hmm. so I was always kind of like trying to be funny. And I did. I memorized jokes and I did all that. But in the fifth grade, I told my first like my joke, the thing that I came up with as a quip in the first day of fifth grade, got a big laugh. I actually stood up to say it. Was it material you were working on? Yeah, I wasn't working on it at all. It just kind of <laughs> popped into my head. The teacher said something and I thought, I've got a funny thing to say about that. And I stood up in the middle of the class and I said my joke and a huge, I mean, huge laugh, huge. And I went, this works. Yeah. This is what yeah. I like. And so from then on, on, I was the, I was, you know, telling, I would say funny things in class. Mostly I made teachers laugh, which is a good thing. Right. And then uh, from there, I just kind of got into college. I was going to be a poli sci professor, actually. That was kind of my goal. I've been a competitive speaker in high school doing extemporaneous speaking and went to the national tournament, all that other stuff. But ultimately, was in the what, last year. What is competitive speaking? What is that exactly? Uh, forensics, you know, a speech team, a speech and debate. Oh, yeah. Matt, you did that, right? Yeah, I did some of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. did? What'd you do? It, this was young. This was like in middle school. I, oh, we middle school. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's we great. Just, uh, that's, that stuff is great. It really kind of helps you focus and learn how to make an argument properly. And, and to some extent, just the rules of logic and, and rhetoric and debate can hold you in good stuff for the rest of your life. And, and, and I use it now in, in writer's rooms. Like, does this right. make sense? But in college, I, I was in the last year of my matriculation and I, I last actually a quarter of it. Uh, I was almost done and I decided I didn't want to be a poli sci professor anymore. <laughs> just, uh, you know, because of some stuff that, you know, classes and whatnot. And, uh, 
I said, I'm going to go do stand-up comedy. And uh, within a few months, I was a stand-up comic. So Really? What year would this have been? 1986 was oh, when I decided. Hot times for stand-up. Yeah, my first time on a professional stage was 1987 in January at the Improv in Melrose. Never started the best club in the world, but I did <laughs> uh, at that time. And then uh, three months later, I was making money uh, working at the Laugh Stop in Newport Beach. And two years later, I was uh, middling for the Ice House around the country, opening for the Improvs around the country. And it just kind of worked from there. And I made, so you- made a lot of friends in the business. And uh, along the way, you make those friends. And I mean, the business the business works this way. You build your reputation from your work, how hard you work. Uh, how good your work is, uh, putting the time in, showing that you're that you're good at what you do, and then the other side is uh, your relationships, uh, who you meet along the way. Now, your reputation affects your relationships, of course, because in in stand up and in writing, you make friends with the people who are good and the people that that you think are 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 moving forward. It's hard. Most people you'll find that there are actually like cadres of people who are friends. And when you go, how did that guy know that guy, and how did that guy know that guy, and how did that woman know those people, and that woman know that woman. Well, because we all kind of work together and we get to know each other and we respect each other's stuff. We go, oh, I really like what you do. And uh, eventually, because of my relationships and my reputation as a writer and what I was doing for my own material and things like that, people started offering me things. Mm -hmm. And they said, would you like to come over here and do this? And uh, with Henry, when Henry got the show uh, on Friday night on NBC, I'd actually already written a spec for him because I thought, boy, he's really good. Let Let me write a spec. And he liked it and we shopped it around a bit, didn't get any traction from there. I, you know, wrote other things and then eventually got his show came on the air. And I was like, well, let me write some monologue jokes for you because you can't keep on digging into your act for mm-hmm. those first five minutes. So started writing monologue jokes and I did it for free. And then Henry started, you know, paying me a little bit on the side. But, you know, uh, I wasn't asking for that. But then next thing I know, I'm on air. They asked me to write sketches and be on air. So I did that for nine months on NBC. And then, uh, which was great. And then I moved over, they moved me over to later with Greg Kinnear to be a consultant. And I did stuff over there for years, you know, and then mm. Titus, a friend of mine, Christopher Titus, I, guy I'd worked with on the road and we both liked each other's stuff and we had very similar backgrounds. And, and he, uh, he got a show on Fox and asked me to come and do the punch up in the first, the first week when it was a pilot, when it hadn't been picked up yet, they'd shot that they were shooting the pilot. I read the script and I went, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. the script was so good. And then the, I, I, my first day and I was only supposed to do one day and the showrunners liked me and they said, come back tomorrow. And they liked me that day and they said, come back tomorrow. And by the end of the week, they said, well, if this show gets picked up, we don't know if it will because, you know, networks, they, they can shoot upwards of, you know, 12 shows. Mm-hmm. Um, usually less, maybe eight. Uh, but you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get picked up, but they picked us up as a fall replace, as a mid-season replacement rather. And, uh, they gave me a job, and that started my sitcom career. Huh. Um, Man, we, I love Greg Kinnear back in the – Matt, we used to watch him just obsessively on the original Talk Soup. On Talk Soup, yeah. He's yeah. very funny. Oh, man, this guy is something – there's something special and original about this. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But uh, we, Titus was – you know, I think Titus was really ahead of its time. If I look at it now, it kind of reminds me – the cutaways at the beginning, the narrations mm-hmm. um, are kind of like The Office a little bit, where mm. uh, he does this sort of uh, – I don't know, extemporaneous monologue about what right. the scene is and what the character is. And right. it's really interesting. Um, yeah, that was, that was what it was, is taking a standup and using him in his very, his very best setting, you know, right. he was going to talk to the camera and, and to us that, that was great because it's what he had done, you know, his entire career is talking to his audience. So it was kind of like directly talking to the audience. And then we did quick flashbacks out of that to kind of illustrate what, 
he was saying. And then we'd go into this, the scene. And what was interesting about the way that show is written, and I, I really agree with you. I think it's very ahead of its time, so much so that nobody has been able to kind of, kind of tap into that same kind of, that same kind of energy because we would, we would tell a story almost in one, like a play. Yeah. And, it's like a, it, yeah. it felt like a play. Like, yeah. That's, that's it how live, it was. Very live. Well, when we shot it, interestingly enough, because I did the warm up for a lot of them, we would shoot most everything like the, the monologues of what we call the neutral space when he's talking to the camera. Hmm. We'd shoot that on Wednesday and we'd also shoot the flashbacks that, you know, to his childhood and to the childhood of his brothers and his best friends and those kinds of things. We'd shoot that all on Wednesday, but we'd do that in single cam and we'd have one camera and it kind of the camera moved and that was the feel of the, the show for those set. It wasn't on, you know, a, a stand. It wasn't set. And then what we do is we have Chris Trexler, our editor, he would edit all that together on Thursday and then we would drop it in for the playback on Friday in front of a live studio audience. And, and what we do, we drop it in for the audience. They'd watch that. They, we get our, their laughs where they, you know, they thought it was funny. And then we'd roll the actual play, the actual show in front of them without stopping down. Oh, so you'd just, you'd play the scenes where he's talking to the camera, yeah. stop that, do the actual play. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Drop in, drop in the, uh, the pre-recorded stuff. So they do the, the play was almost always, it was always in one set. Even when we did like a, we did a base jumping thing from a bridge and we built a bridge. John Amadeo, our, our fantastic line producer, UPM, man of all seasons, uh, the guy on this, that takes care of the production side. He, he was actually, I believe a co-EP on the show too, or maybe an EP. He actually like got it, made, made sure it was built where we had two, two halves of a bridge because they were on the top of the bridge and they were in the middle grade of the bridge. We built both of those on our set. He also had us build a mountain on the set, a mountainside. So we did a skiing episode on that. And huh. we, we did the entire play, the entire thing there. And you just run through to the act break, you know, the act break being where the commercial comes, where, you know, with, with an act break, that's a big, big emotional moment usually, or a, you have to have a joke for it. Right. We call a blow or some people call it a button, but the, the blow, the, the comedy thing, but, but some kind of drama or some kind of, thing of interest to to pull us to the idea is that people turn the channel at the commercial break they might go someplace else they don't i mean that's not the way people watch anything yeah. but the old idea is you got to keep them kind of interested and hooked through that commercial break and so you give them some kind of big dramatic moment and so we do that you build to that to the act break where the commercial comes and then commercial comes back and you kind of resolve the problem uh that that you presented at the time and then create a new problem in the second act. And that middle part of the second act is the new problem and resolving that problem is the meat of your second act. And, and we do that all in kind of one set, which is like writing a play. So it was really, it was really a very interesting kind of show. Uh, very different. Yeah. You know, there's a group around here that um, performs lo- actual like word for word enactments of Star Trek, the next generation episodes. <laughs> oh, seriously. That's fantastic. You know, someone could do that with Titus. You could just make it a play. And, oh, easily. Uh, easily. Easily. Yeah. So the the sitcom structure that you're talking about a lot there, mm-hmm. you know, you, you read a lot about it. If you're in a writer's room and is that examined? Is, does someone say, okay, let's look at the structure of this and make sure it follows this sitcom pattern? Or? Well, you know, it depends on the show you're on and how, the, how they build their shows. Because, you know, a lot of shows have different perspectives on how to do this. And a lot of showrunners have different perspectives on how to do that. But um yeah, I mean, oftentimes it, there, there are rules to an extent. You know, you want rising action. You don't want to just kind of have things hanging. You don't want stuff. You don't want to introduce information that's extraneous because it's just that the page is pretty precious territory, you know, so you don't, you don't need mm-hmm. extra stuff. Although 
you want stuff to be funny. So you want the funny to be, to go toward the story, um, mm-hmm. because you only have so much territory real estate to play with. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are different, you watch shows, you can see that they, ha- they often usually have a formula, yeah. um, yeah. a way that they tell the story. And, and, they all have different ones. Like I watch, uh, I was watching Brooklyn Nine Nine recently for for a lecture I was giving, and it's interesting. They they have a very specific ethos uh, apart from everything else, and and just what they're trying to say to the world. But in the the way they do that is very much, uh, very much multi stories. You know, many you know A story, B story, C story, or a C runner, and each character these characters all have their their things going on, and they're very very everything's character character driven. Everything's comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, the big stories, but all the comedy comes out of character. All the comedy. I mean, it's really interesting the way they do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they have act breaks the same way everybody. We, we all pretty much, uh, their, their structure, interesting. They start with a cold open that almost never has to, anything to do with the rest of the show. And then they, I, come I love in, those actually. Yeah, I love them too. To cheers, yeah. cheers did it beautifully. I mean, cheers yeah. had so many funny cold opens. It had nothing to do with the show. We just laugh and then we yeah. come back. And then they start their story and or their stories, and then with some big kind of thing happening. And and most of their conflict comes from the outside. Their major conflict comes from outside because it's a group of people who get along. Yes. And you know, if you look at like all in the family, most of their conflict came internally. Right. Um, but if you watch like The Good Place, uh, another Mike Sure comedy, or or even or even Parks and Rec, where Mark Sheer, yeah. Mike Sure was, but Mike Sure kind of he seems to always build a family. And the yeah, people I, are all kind of internally kind of together. There's always that Tom character, Tom, Tom or Gina, yeah, yeah, you know, who's kind of the selfish character who creates problems, but but within the context, so there is there is drama inside and a little conflict inside, but not usually. Usually, it's comic co- conflict for comedy's sake. Uh, most of their big conflict comes from outside, outside forces. Yeah, so I heard him interviewed, and he said that exact same thing that you're talking about is that when he was deciding to uh, develop uh, Parks and Rec, he was like. Let's not make it to where all the conflict is between the characters. Let's, there's enough conflict on the outside. Let's have this tight knit inside that's safe and mm-hmm. and actually kind of loving. Yeah, um, and yeah. it really worked. I mean, it created this sort of positive energy in the show. I think that made yeah, it really I mean, enjoyable. Yeah, it's why I love it. You, it's it's a bright light in a very dark landscape a lot of the time. You know, yeah, and, and it's almost like a. I heard Larry David say one time too. He's like, if I say something funny to my friends. Mm-hmm. They laugh. We have a moment where we actually laugh about it, yep. but in a TV show, you're, it's almost like you don't see anybody laugh or have a good time. Right. So I also actually like it when characters kind of laugh at things that they say to each other too. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, that, I think you know. Hey, look, there's there's different ways to do it. You know, there's there's the if you watch the CBS comedies, a lot of the Chuck Lorre stuff, very very clear premise. The premise is so clear, and the characters are so clearly driven from oriented toward the premise. Mm-hmm. You know. They're, they're, they're part and parcel of the premise that when you watch one of his shows, you know exactly what you're getting from one show to the next. And you can drop in pretty much any time. They can serialize it, but you know who these characters are watching it right away, mm-hmm. which, and, and there's a very, there's a big strength in that. Those are multicam shows, big audience laughs and blah, blah, blah. But that is to me, you know, those big jokes, it's, it, it's, that's how they do it, but they don't really react to each other that much. Hmm. They just kind of are saying a big joke, and then we move to the next big joke, and next big joke, next big joke. Typically, mm-hmm. um, but it feels like the Mike Sure thing, and a lot of the single cams. It's it's more of the reaction. I mean, obviously, John Krasinski made a, a made a career off of being the guy who looks at the camera after somebody says something crazy, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. kind of he's he's uh, he's us. He's the reactor. 
So that, yeah, that, that's just a different way to do it. I, but I, I, I like that too. I, I, you know, I laugh at things when people say them. So I'm happy when I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, after, after, so moving along after Titus, uh, you worked on George Lopez, yep. uh, for five or six years. Yes. Um, yeah. Five, five years. We did, I did uh, 116 episodes there. They did wow. 120. I missed the first four, but I did the next 116. Well, I wanted to focus on, um, you were, well, you got ultimately in your career, you've been nominated for three Emmys. Mm-hmm. But with the George Lopez show, you were nominated for a Humanitas Prize. Yeah, yeah, it's a Humanitas Prize. They they uh, gave. I think it was the kidney stays in the picture. George. Yeah. George was George was dying on the show. The, the actual George. <laughs> he his kidneys hit were failing, and he was That's in right, really bad shape. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, when yeah. I say dying, I mean he was alive, but he was doing very very badly. And then his uh, wife at the time she donated her kidney. They were a match, and it saved his life. And, uh, it was a congenital defect that he'd had. And so what we did is we did the story as if his son had that, that congenital defect. And we talked about it, you know, in terms of, you know, the difficulties of that and, and just, uh, tra- we, we discussed the whole, that thing. And it was, we were nominated for the prize there. We, we lost, I believe to, in fact, I know we lost to, uh, uh my name is Earl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the, the pilot of my name is Earl beat us out. Darn it. Darn but, uh, it was, it was nice to be recognized for it. And I, my name was on it, but you know, the truth is with sitcoms, uh, especially shows like that, we, we wrote it in the room together a lot of the time. A lot of stuff was written together. And then, uh, some things you, you turn in a draft and then everybody kind of, you know, work on that draft. And sometimes we just start the, sh- the show in the middle of, you know, in the room. We go, okay, let's start. And our showrunner, the showrunner, the guy running the room would be kind of directing it all through that. So that was just kind of one of those things where, you know, I was involved in that. So I, I appreciate the recognition and everything, but. That was a, that was very much a team effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I googled. I didn't know what the Humanitas uh, Prize was, but it says it's a it's a group uh, that awards for television writing whose work explores the human condition mm-hmm. in a nuanced and meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and there was another twist in that show is where the parents originally thought that he had maybe been sexually active when right. he was fourteen. Maybe that's yes. why he was having urinary issues. Right. So that is twisted in to right. the ultimate uh, issue. Of uh, that he's got a kidney disease. It's a really interesting way to do it. Yeah, it was we we yeah that that was that was part of the research that we did. And and what were the other? How would else could this present? Or what what would these symptoms also be a function of? And so we kind of went back and we said, oh well, that's interesting. And honestly, you know, uh, <laughs> so much of uh, sitcoms go back to sex anyway. So it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. the automatic. It's it's. It's honestly an easy laugh, and it's all—it's something that intrigues people immediately. It's like, oh, sex, yeah, okay, I, I understand what that is. It's something we all have in common. We get it, we get it. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great episode. Um, I also saw, let's see, uh, Planet Sheen. I just want to mention mm-hmm. that I just love Sheen and Jimmy Neutron. I, my, yeah. my son would always watch that show, and I love Sheen. I thought, man, this guy is like one of the best characters. I've ever seen in a cartoon and they, they did a show on it, which you were involved with. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun. You know, we, we, there were some problems behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, that I, I'm not, I can't get into. Uh, but that show was really, really fun to do. Uh, we really, you know, we had a great time as a labor of love. They let us do some really crazy stuff, especially early on. You know, it, what happened also is our, our, the animation house that we were using, uh, in Canada, it, it went bankrupt in the middle of the show and that, that really hurt the further production of the show. But, but we had a lot of really, really great voice actors for that. Rob Paulson, who's like, you know, monster and he's fantastic. And Candy Milo and, and Tom Lennon was there. Fred Tatashore, Garcia. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Jeff, everybody in that show, there were so many funny people uh, involved in that show. You know, really. And that nice. was on uh, Nickelodeon. His dog with a blog 
that's Disney. That's Disney. Yeah. And that's a, so that was a, just a, a live comedy television series on Disney uh-huh. yep. um, uh, for three years. Yeah. Uh, we did three seasons. Three seasons. And yeah. It was, it was really, we, it was a fun experience because we were really writing a, a, a family show more than a kid's show. That The idea was to write a family show and the dog has an adult voice and it was kind of, we snuck it in in a way. Disney wanted it too. You know, they, they, they liked it and, and the writing was, was well, uh, well received at Disney, which was nice, you know, but it was, they, they were very supportive of it throughout the, the run. It, it, it was fun. I mean, you know, we had a great, we had a great dog and we had great actors and great, great writing staff. I mean, fantastic. Um, I, I really like writing for kids stuff as soon as when I segued over that with, with, uh, Sheen, because Sheen, I got into Steve Odekirk, who's written all these great movies, a lot of, Drew mm-hmm. Carey, I'm sorry, Jim Carrey stuff and a lot of, yeah, I mean, he's, and, and way past that. I mean, he's just great. And he, he's also does all the thumb, like thumb wars and thumb tannic and all that, which I did with, you know, I was at thumb a couple of times for him, but, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's great, but he, cre- he did Jimmy Neutron and then, uh, Barnyard and then Sheen came up and they asked me to to come in and, and co-EP that, which was fun, you know? Uh, so that got me into kids TV and I really enjoyed it. So when I was asked by Michael Kaplan, who ran dog with a blog to come, to come help out with his show in the pilot, I was thrilled and, and just had a great time there the entire time. And then we did another show for Disney, uh, for a year. And then, uh, and then I went to talking Tom after that and then cousins for life during that. And then, you know, so it's, it's been yeah. a pretty pretty wild ride, you know, just a lot of kid stuff. And is there a certain freedom that or a difference uh, uh, in writing um, kids shows versus maybe not having to throw in all the dark satirical stuff of an adult? You know, well, show the dark or? and satirical stuff as an adult is easier. Uh, you know, oh, uh, yeah. you, you can the, honestly, it's it's a lot harder to write funny for kids unless you just go really broad and big and mm. kind of. If you go in and going, well, we're just writing for kids. You know, it's pretty easy because you know big big pratfalls and big thing. And you just kind of repeat, rinse and repeat. It's the same stuff, which isn't bad because you're writing for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they like that, they like that. I mean, that's, you know, it's not, it, yeah, it's uh, Aristotle once said, you know, a comedy writer suits his material to the, to the taste of his audience. Um, and of course, when Aristotle wrote that comedies just were, were stories that had happy endings, but mm-hmm. it still fits even now when we talk about comedy, if somebody's not laughing, it's not comedy. Comedy is a very has a, is a poem with a very specific outcome I- intended. You know, you, you need to get a laugh, mm-hmm. uh, but all the pieces have to fit together in a very specific way. When you got them all together, then there has to be a laugh at the end of it. Because if there isn't a laugh, you're not doing comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's 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 that. I mean, if you're not making the kids laugh, you're not doing you're not doing your job. But but at the same time, if you can write a, a family show, a show that parents like, also what we call co watching. If you can write a show parents can watch and that kids like. That's hard to do, but that to me, and that's, I think, some of the hardest writing. That's kind of an achievement. I actually writing this, uh, Disney Junior show, two to fives, some of the hardest writing I've ever done because you're, you're, you're trying to relate to children at the ages two to five. That's a completely different thing. I mean, they don't think like kids even six years old or seven years old. They, they think a very specific, they're very literal and there's very, there's very specific ways to talk to them. I mean, Mr. Mr. Rogers had that all down, but he had a whole thing they called Fred speak, which was specific to children and being very, very careful in the way that you're talking mm-hmm. uh, to them and, and the messages that you send. Because again, that that's incredible. It's a lot of responsibility, really. It is. Yeah. You, you know, you're talking to people when they're forming their thoughts and their, their visions of the world. And what, what do you present to them? You know, you present them violence and things that, that show them anger and, you know, show them that, that they were, you respond or do you show them kindness and love and community and that? I mean, obviously, 
I, I would think violence is the best. Uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, gratuitous. <laughs> but if you, yeah, gratuitous violence and just the most, <laughs> the most horrible scenes of gore yeah. and uh, grotesque. Well, I haven't. I haven't watched the, I did watch the documentary on uh, Mr. Rogers and he did seem like the burden that you're talking about and the care mm-hmm. for those formative years. Uh, he seemed very mindful of that. You almost have to have a, like a psychology background in early childhood, I think to really, well, yeah, really appreciate it. A lot of those shows, you know, they used to, you know, and sometimes still do uh, appeal to people who have an expertise in child psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, and, and now it's interesting. A lot of the development people that I deal with at Disney, Disney Junior in particular, they really know their stuff about that market. They really know what they're talking to. And, and when I say market, I mean kids. It's you know, market sounds better when it's adults. Uh, when right. it's kids. Wait, what are you talking about? But and I and I'm not. And they don't say market. They say kids. Uh, and so that's and I appreciate that. But when you're talking to kids that age, you know, they they really know what they're talking about. So what I've done through the process is just go, hey, you know, I'm new to this part and this specific demographic and you know just let me know just tell me you know because you guys know it's a completely different kind of writing completely different kind of audience but very gratifying uh i turned the pilot into them a couple of weeks ago and i just i i you know it's it's the the, the first draft so they're going to give me notes and i look forward to them you know honestly mm-hmm. because i get a chance to kind of craft it according to what they their knowledge uh of the audience but m- more than anything you know what i loved about it is that it was very it was very hopeful it's very kind. It was very life affirming, values affirming. Uh, and I could just see where as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, okay, kids can get a lot, they can get a lot of good out of this. Mm-hmm. And that's kind yeah. of was, was a thing that drove me was like, oh, okay, this is another thing they can get something good out of. This is another thing they get something good out of. They can learn from yeah. this, they can learn from that. And that, that made me, that made me happy to be involved. The, the best kids shows for little kids that age, if, if you, you know, your parent, you know, this feeling of getting up early and your child's still tired and they're sitting on the couch snuggling with you and that and you're watching a kid show and it's just calming even yeah and yeah. the whatever those shows are i always really appreciated those are always actually really good times with my kids you it, know really neat. good memories you know, that i had and that's good parenting too i mean you, if you're a lot of and i'm not putting anybody down people's lives are busy and stuff and and we did the same thing you know it's like sometimes you put your kid there and i watch this for a little bit so i can get this stuff done but another good but another thing we did do a lot of and i, I encourage people to do is watch the shows with your kid and relate to them and talk to them about it and say what what was this what did you think about that and how to do you feel like they did the right thing in that circumstance? And we would we would do that with our daughter, you know, just kind of like, hey, this is what are you what are you getting out of that? And what you know, just kind of helping you know marshal their intellectual energies and their creative energies and and, and their emotional energy also in 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 proper directions because you know you have to you have to watch what your kids are watching. You have to know kind of what what they're taking in because. You know, we're outnumbered really by culture when it comes to a lot of the really bad kind of influences on kids and a lot of the things that really kind of enjoin them to do, you know, things that are self-destructive. I mean, because it's entertaining. You know, I, I look at people driving around the roads now like maniacs and I, and I just go, Oh, you, you're a fast and the furious, you know, fan. Uh, and that's not always true. We've had maniac drivers for years before that show, but that show really, I mean, those movies, those movies really do make people feel like, boy, I, you know, I'm a good, it's good to drive like an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, as it turns out, it's very dangerous. And Paul Walker died. For it. So, yeah. um, you know, not, not, not the best choices uh, people make. And I think that entertainment, obviously gaming influences people all, I mean, you know, they, they say, if you want to look at, 
you know, people who are doing violent things, check out their gaming history. A lot of the time, it's not, it's not always not a one-to-one relationship, of course, but there's a relationship. Yeah. It affects you in some way or else you wouldn't be attracted right. to it or reacting to right. it. So right. they say, say it doesn't affect you. Know, as oh, well. it, it actually thickens your your frontal cortex, your, your <laughs> frontal lobe. It fixes and it, it it actually tends to make people more violent. At watching acts of violence on movies and TV and those things, and and playing video, violent video games, it, it certainly is. It affects your brain. It affects the way that you see the world. It affects your reactions. It makes you more afraid. It makes you more angry. It's limbic. You know, the limbic system is fear and aggression, and it takes you right to the limbic system. So you know, it's yeah, there it's absolutely affects people. So we have to, I, that's why I like doing comedy, you know, that's uh, because we're making you laugh and, and I'd like yeah. to make you laugh at, not at people, but at ourselves and, and in the, in the fun in kind of a, kind of a joyful way, you know, and that's, that's actually why I brought up the Mike Sure stuff because I really think that does a nice job of that. Typically. It does. Yeah. So speaking of family, uh, you know, being a creative person, um, how is the support of your family? What has that meant to you in your creative life? Uh, it's huge. I mean, you know, you, you, you. I, I get a lot of honesty from my wife <laughs> yeah. about uh, things. Cause you know, when your brain works, you know, a hundred miles, it goes a thousand, 10,000 miles an hour in a hundred different directions. It's good to have somebody go, not that, not that, not that. That's good. Try that. Yeah. That's good. Not that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's weird, but you need to work that out a little bit and have people to bounce stuff off of. So do you show your writing to your wife? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm, when I finish stuff, I have my wife and my daughter read stuff. Uh, my daughter's been reading my stuff since she was a kid. That's why she's a, that's why she's a writer now, <laughs> but she's always been a writer since she was, it, it, yeah. And my family support is everything, you know, it, it's, it's cause these are not easy careers. I mean, they're getting harder, you know, the, with, with streaming, it's like there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's five times more outlets, but there's, you know, also a hundred times more people trying to do it too, coming out of film schools and stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it's shorter, shorter seasons. I mean, when you've got an episode order of 10, it's hard to pay for your life, uh, mm-hmm. for 10 episodes, especially if it's shorter money. So then you're trying to figure out how to work this and work that. And it's becoming part-time jobs a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a long haul. And, and, and again, I'm not lamenting it. It's things change. You have to be, you have to be ready for change. Uh, every industry changes. You know, when I first started out, I was like, you know, it was always like, well, you should go into a more stable career. Well, then I watched all these people lose their jobs when the tech boom bust happened. And I watched all these people lose their jobs with, you know, the big economic collapse. And, you know, that they weren't in entertainment. And, you know, it's like people lose their jobs when they turn 50 just because some companies don't want them anymore to be making money. You know, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. and then what do you do when you're in your 50s? So you have mm-hmm. to really figure out and adjust every everywhere you go and whatever job you have to the, to the changing climate and just kind of, you know, dive in and, and have a bunch of stuff that you're doing at the same time. Is there, is there anything looking back that you would have focused more on in your career or changed? Uh, boy, that's an interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't, it doesn't do always to look back. Um, I do all the time and I'm trying not to, uh, because it, where I am is where I was supposed to be. And if there's a path for me, I'm, I'm a religious I'm a Christian person. So mm-hmm. For me, it's, uh, you know, my path was set for me, even though many times I go, what if I, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't done, that, I think, you know, that would have been a, that would have been a different choice. But, you know, no, I mean, even Arthur Schopenhauer, the, the decidedly non-Jewish, non-Christian philosopher, uh, who inspired to some extent Friedrich Nietzsche with his world as idea uh, mm-hmm. premise, which is kind of just the world as well. His, he actually at the end of his life said, you know, it's funny. I look back at my life and he didn't believe really in God per se, he kind of got an, more the Eastern religions to some extent, nominally at least. 
But at the end of his life, he actually said, you know, it's interesting. I look back and I, it, it's, it's curious how clearly laid out my path was and how it all seemed like it had to fit. And so I look at my defeats and my victories and mostly my defeats and go, okay, well, that I learned this from that and I learned this from that and I learned this. So I can't take any of it back. I mean, I can't take back anything that happened in the past where all the children of, of horrors, I mean, of atrocities, there's terrible things that have happened in the past that if we took back, we wouldn't exist, you know, uh, right. not even in our present state, but we wouldn't even have been born if some of those atrocities hadn't occurred. So it doesn't do, it doesn't do to look back, um, because you can't change it and you probably shouldn't. Well, what do you look forward to, Jim? What do you, what do you look forward to in your private life? family and stuff moving oh ahead. you know the uh i'd love my daughter to meet a nice young man and get married uh she's interested in doing that so i'm for that uh yeah i'd like uh my wife and i to just continue to be happy as a couple and you know uh want to keep on doing good things for people and you know spreading kindness and goodness and love all around as much as i can and and honestly i have a lot of projects that i do and you know personally it's interesting when you're a comic and a writer uh, personal and professional is pretty much the same thing. Uh, I don't really stop working. Uh, I can't, I can't turn this off and that off. I'm, I write my own philosophy. I write poetry. I write all kinds of other things all the time. Hmm. I read, you know, but, but mostly to inform my writing. And so, you know, if I wasn't writing for a sitcom or I wasn't writing a, a sitcom or a, a animated show or something, I, I'd be writing something else, you know, mm-hmm. you ever think about writing a novel or? I, you know, I, it's not really, I'm not a, I, I've tried it and, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little too strident. My, my writing got too much, you know, I mean, it's okay. You know, uh, I, I tried to show everybody how smart I was a couple of times, which is yeah. really not good for art. The first thing I ever wrote, it was like, Hey, look at me. I'm smart. Well, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Good. You're not that smart. Cause if you're that smart, people wouldn't be able to see that you're trying to tell them you're smart. Um, right. and the second one I wrote was a little too snarky for my point, the point I was making. So, you know, because there was a little too much anger in me. So as I get older, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be able to write something that I'm proud of, but not currently. I write, I'm more, more sententiously, more along the lines of like a big, a short blurb and then kind of move on. And mm-hmm. that's kind of my, that, that seems to be my strength more like, uh, if I was going to write philosophy, I'd probably write, uh, more like, uh, Pascal's Ponce's, but, mm-hmm. you know, which is short things but uh, uh, that's not how he meant to write it he died before it it was all put together um you know so <laughs> it's not you know i don't want to die before it's all put together and then uh but you know our, our nietzsche did the same writing and he just you know that's how he wrote it i'm not a fan of his content but his but he was, was a good writer yeah yeah definitely well uh so so coming up now jim you're, you're working on a two to five year old show Yep. Uh, and as well as uh, potentially a future show that you're looking to uh Yeah, future get to a sitcom market. that's uh, family friendly mm-hmm. and fun and and stuff and then I'm I'm also pitching we're also pitching an animated an adult animated show which is very crazy wild out there and we're going to see whether or not that gets any traction soon. Uh so we've got that all written and art and everything else is going out with some really great people and and we're going to be pitching that uh in the next couple weeks and and months we'll hope it, we're pitching it kind of late in the year because of uh, scheduling conflicts, but we'll see how that goes for now. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Well, best selected, Jim. Thanks, You've man. always been such a nice guy to me, and it's just nice to be able to know somebody that's in the business just to touch base with every once in a while. And and uh, I just I just appreciate your work, man, and just wish you all wish you all the best, you and your family. Well, you're thank you very much, and you also, and you are a very funny writer. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks I'm thanks, very yeah. I, I'm very happy to have known you. You write some really really funny interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, thank I've you. always I've always liked it, and. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's not always people that get into Hollywood that are the best writers. Uh, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always encourage you to put your stuff out there. Please do. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jim, okay. uh, with your stand up, are you going to do one of your rants that you used to do? Oh, <laughs> yes. My new, <laughs> the one I do now, that's so funny. She said that the one I do now is, uh, I, it's about the people who are just so convinced that, that Putin is controlling Trump. Oh. <laughs> and oh, I prove I prove that I, I do a, a version of them. My whole thing is Trump can't control himself. How can Putin do it? <laughs> but but uh, you know the, the the end of it is I, I prove that Donald Trump is uh, is Vladimir Putin. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of a is, fun, yeah. yeah, it's kind yeah. of a fun like you know twisting thing that goes crazy. But yeah, oh, that, yeah, yeah I love that bit watching it on YouTube. That was great. Oh, thanks, thanks. That's very that's very kind of you. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the Think Funny Podcast with uh, Aaron Donnelly and Matt Donnelly and our very special guest, Jim Hope. And we'll see you guys next week. And I stood up in the middle of the class and I said my joke and a huge, I mean, huge laugh, huge. And I went, this works. For listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. And check out aaronDonley.com for today's show notes and much more. Mm-hmm.